uh, this fall at uh, First Peter, and uh, we're wrapping up the first section of uh, First Peter chapter one uh, this morning by looking at verses ten uh, through twelve. So uh, that text is, is printed in the bulletin, and it's uh, also up on the screens behind me. Isn't it great to, to be in worship on a uh, holiday weekend? This is one of those federal holidays that I think about and I'm like, and some of you are like, what holiday? <laughs> you need to work on your Italian heritage. It's, it's Columbus Day weekend. Come on. Right? Isn't, it, isn't that the one? Yeah. Okay. Uh, you all should gather tomorrow morning and take flowers over to uh, Columbus's statue and put them there along with the Italian-American uh, Historical uh, and Genealogical Society in Richmond. They do that. So, you people, come on. It's a holiday. <laughs> Woohoo! Thank you, Columbus. Um, anyway, uh, it's what makes America great. We're going to... Uh, we're gonna Read, let me read to you now, 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 10 uh, through 12. Uh, the text is in the bulletin and also uh, up on uh, the screens behind me. Um, Peter has just laid out uh, for uh, his readers uh, the, the, the nature of the salvation that we have in Christ, and now he's going to say something about the relative value of that salvation. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So I, I don't know about you, but one of the things that I f sit around in my house and look at all our stuff, and, you know, we got a lot of stuff. We got to get rid of stuff. You know, you would think when your kids start moving out, you'd get rid of stuff, but we just, we have stuff. So we got to get rid of stuff. We are taking stuff to goodwill every little bit. But every now and then I look at all the stuff and I think, you know, I wish I could find somebody, like on Antiques Roadshow, to give me $150,000 for that lamp. You know? There's got to be somebody out there who thinks that chair is worth tens of thousands of dollars, right? I've just got to find them, right? Uh, uh, because it's not worth anything to me. It's ugly. It's taking up space. But I'm certain there's somebody out there who knows what kind of thing that is and knows a collector and is willing to spend tons and tons of cash to buy uh, my lamp or my clock or whatever all the stuff that we have is, right? So, so, the, so the thing about it is, you know, value is something that is relative. You, some people value uh, uh, some things. Other people don't value them so much, uh, we have this 17-year-old uh, minivan that we drive around in, that I drive around in, uh, that no one else in my family will, will ride in. And um, I love that car. 
And the, and the reason why I love it is because we've had it a long time. Uh, uh, but the other reason why I love it is because it, it makes my kids ashamed. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm like, I'm getting something out of this because they're like, it's so, and, and, and well, anyway, it's probably not a good thing that I get a lot out of it, but that car's worth a lot to me because I think, how much could I get for it if I sold it? 500 bucks. Well, it's worth 40 or 50 grand to me just for the shame and embarrassment that it causes uh, everyone else in my family. So I, I, I'll, never, I'll never get rid of it. So, so one of the things that is, is fascinating to me about this text, and as Peter is concluding this section where he's talked about joy, where he's talked about the hope of the resurrection, where he's talked about the living hope that we have in Jesus Christ, to, to these exiles... One of the things that he wants to end the section with before he gets to the next section where he's going to begin to tell us about what to do uh, in light of this salvation is he wants us to value it. He wants us to esteem and value the salvation that is ours in Jesus Christ. Now, let me be clear that this thing that he wants us to value, this salvation, uh, is the reality of Jesus Christ coming into our world Uh, living a righteous and holy and perfect life, dying our death, rising again, so that we get credited to us the righteousness that he earned and the punishment that is due our sins is laid on him and we never have to face the ultimate wrath of God due our rebellion against him. And so so he wants these people to, to value this. Now, now, why is it important to value it? Well, because they're exiles. They're facing persecution. They're facing difficulty. They, they, they face the same sorts of problems of living in a fallen world that we do. And the temptation when you live like that is to forget the value that you have in Jesus Christ. It's, it's not unlike if you say to a fish... You know, um, I don't know if you ever talked to a fish, but if you were to say to a fish, hey, fish, do you value the water you're swimming in? He probably doesn't think a lot about the water that he's swimming in. But if you throw that fish out of the water onto the riverbank, that water's very valuable, very valuable, because he can't breathe. He can't live, Right? So, so it's important for us to, to value uh, uh, this gospel that we have. And Peter is going to show us its value by talking about uh, the, the, uh, the prophets and the angels uh, and how they view the salvation that is ours. So um, before he gets to what uh, he wants us to do, he's going to tell us uh, how valuable this is and how valuable the prophets thought it was, how valuable the angels thought it was. But first, before we get that, a quick lesson on how to interpret the Old Testament. One of the, one of the things that happens to us is that when, when we read the Bible or we read the Old Testament in particular, you can get off track if you miss what's happening. What, what Peter says here about the whole Old Testament is the prophets, the, 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 the folks who wrote the Old Testament were writing... Uh, to bear witness to the work of God in the world. And we're writing to prepare the people of God 
for the coming Messiah, right? And so they may not have, have, have fully understood that. They may not have fully known that. But the fact is, that's exactly what uh, the, the whole point of the Old Testament is. We, we say uh, um, our understanding of the scriptures is, is that all of the scripture bears witness to Jesus Christ. And so it's important for us, even when we look at the prophets and, and, you know, some of us, you know, love to pull stuff out of the prophets to rebuke one another and to rebuke the culture and, and that kind of stuff. When in fact, what Peter says is actually that what those prophets were doing uh, was, was, was more important for its value to you and to me than to the immediate value of their audience. Now, there was a value there, and those people were held accountable for how they listened to and responded to Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel. But the fact is, the, the, the bigger thing that's going on there is, is that God used them uh, to bear witness to what we now know to be true in Jesus Christ. So Peter, like others in the early church, saw as the greatest importance of the prophets not their rebukes of the errors of their day, but their predictions of a future day of salvation and deliverance, right? So just look here with me. Next slide, please, AJ. So in a few weeks, we'll begin reading these texts, right, in Advent and then leading up to Christmas. Uh, I remember being in, in an Old Testament introduction class in college where, for you know, I just assumed my whole life, I'd been taught my whole life, that this text was about Jesus, And the very learned professor said it wasn't because nobody had a clue about Jesus. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. The increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And the reason why my learned professor said that Isaiah was not talking about Jesus is because he didn't have a clue. He didn't really understand. He thought he was writing just about something that was happening historically right there. So, that's what I have to say about that. So, (laughs) which is not a bad answer to professor. So, Or this text, where he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we're healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So you see, the, 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 the thing about it is here, did Isaiah have a fully formed view of the Messiah? Did Jeremiah? Did Daniel? No, you, you have more information than they did. And the fact is, uh, these prophets, as, as Peter says here, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. 
inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. Listen, I'm going to tell you something uh, that you need to think about uh, because it's true, and it's this. We read Isaiah, and you think, Isaiah, he, he had a vision of God, right? In Isaiah chapter 6, he goes into the temple. The year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted in the temple. He goes into the temple, and he sees the Lord on his throne, and there's smoke, and there's sound, and the, train, the Lord's train fills the temple, and the, uh, the, the foundation of the temple is shaking, and the cherubim are flying around. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, right? You know more than Isaiah did. Now, I know you're like, that's impossible. But Isaiah could only peer darkly, look into a, a room with the lights dim, barely on to see the bare outlines of what's in there, you see Jesus clearly. You know more of the heart of God. You know more of the plan of God. You know more about the reality of the gospel than Isaiah ever could have because Isaiah prophesied and bore witness so that you would know it. Okay? So that's one of the things that you have to see about this, one of the things that you have to understand about this right off the bat. Did they have a ministry in their day and age? Yes. But their primary ministry was to prepare the way and to reveal Jesus Christ to us, right? So when the Spirit of Christ told Isaiah to write those things, Isaiah said, oh Lord, who? Oh Lord, when? How long? Oh Lord, how long? Right? So, so all of those things... Uh, <clears throat> We, we need to lay hold of and to understand that that's the point. That is the big point that all of the scriptures is leading us to. Now, a couple of things to draw out of this text uh, itself. One of the things that you have to see about this is, is that Christ predicted his sufferings and subsequent glory, right? It says, uh, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Well, and you hear that and you're like, well, big deal. What difference does that make? When is brunch? Well, the, the fact is, um, this, the, this really is, is something that's important because this has deep meaning for the heart of God for us, right? Uh, next slide, please, AJ. Um, because if, if Jesus is predicting through the prophets hundreds of years before he arrives on the scene, if, if there's this prediction that he's going to suffer, how long has Jesus did the Christ, how long did he know he was going to suffer? How long was it on his mind? How long did he know that he loved you enough that he would die for you and that his coming into the world would involve his death? Um, how long did he know that he would uh, uh, sweat drops of blood in that garden? How long did he know he would be rejected and scourged and spit upon and beaten and humiliated? Right? 
So one of the things that you have to see about that is, is the very nature of God, is the understanding of the gospel is not just that these things sort of unfolded in the moment, but from eternity past, it is there it has resided in the heart of God, this willingness and this understanding that the atoning sacrifice that would be made for our sins, the, the suffering passion that Jesus Christ would experience, he knew, he knew, he knew that was going to happen. And so one of the things that you need to see about that is, is that this, the, the love of God for these exiles, for these persecuted people, that the very heart of God, that the work that he, has, that he had been about was on the heart and mind and in the plan of God to suffer for years and years and years and years, right? Now, I don't know about you, but if I know that something's coming up that I'm going to have to have a little pain for, I don't like it. I don't like it. Um, I have to be careful because my dentist worships here. You know, I love my dentist. He is awesome. He is, uh, uh, he, he makes it as pleasant as, as it possibly can be, but it's the dentist. <laughs> you know? It just is, and I'm like, I know when I get in there, I know what this is going to be like, and that's even just, you know, cleaning. I, you know, it just hurts. It just hurts. It's unpleasant, right? So, I, you know, I'll lose sleep anticipating how much it's going to hurt. Well, there's, there's no comparison. There's no way for us to think about what was happening uh, in, in the heart and mind of God from eternity past, knowing that in time and in space there would be a rupture, in a sense, within the Trinity, where, as we've already sung, the Father would turn his face away for you. Next, we need to see that the prophets long to see what we see. Uh, the prophets prophesied. They, 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 were, they lived and worked in a broken uh, and a struggling uh, nation, uh, and their heart's cry as they revealed these things was that God would come and that he would make things right, right? So, so the prophets longed to see what, what you see. They, 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 they knew that, that there was a God, and they knew that he had a promised Messiah, and they knew that he would, would do, this, uh, do this work, but that they, it, it was very unclear to them. And their longing, their cry, all of their lives was for God to do what you have now seen that he's done. Next, Peter wants us to understand that the angels wonder and look into the salvation that is ours. Uh, my daughter loves art history. She, she just loves it. And um, one of the paintings uh, in her art history book is a picture where you're looking up at the ceiling of the church and there's a little circle and there's these little angels or whatever, little fat beings leaning over the edge and looking. Leaning over the edge and looking. Uh, and and I'm, I'm, when, I, when I see that, the first time I saw that, I thought, that's the dumbest thing. You know, I'm, that church spent money on getting that painted on their roof, on their ceiling. You know, it looks like they could have spent it on something better than that. But the fact is, it's in the Bible, isn't it? 
Those angels are leaning out, looking, trying to understand and trying to see and trying to appreciate what it is that God is doing. Um, and, you know, um, I, you got to be careful. You know, pastors are peevish people in general, but so indulge me in my pet peeve that I wrote in the letter at the, at the front of the bulletin that... Um, when you die, you don't get promoted to being an angel. No. Jesus didn't die for angels. Jesus didn't incarnate as an angel. Jesus isn't preparing a mansion for angels. Jesus is not preparing the marriage feast of the Lamb for angels. The angels look at this and are amazed and perhaps even jealous that God pays us so much attention, that he's so captivated by us. So actually, uh, don't, don't, I mean, if an angel were to walk in here, and I don't see any in here at the moment, uh, they may be, there may be one in here, but uh, he's got his cloaking device on and I can't, I can't see them, but uh, if one were to walk in here, it would be stunning. But they would only come in here, A, because God sent them, and B, to look and to see and to wonder that God loves us. Lastly, what we see here is, is that the Holy Spirit is the ultimate preacher of the good news. P Peter says that, uh, and this is something that's important for every one of us to lay hold of today. Um, it's, it's hard for us uh, sometimes to think like this, uh, where he says that have been now announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit uh, sent from heaven. Um, I know a lot of you spend a lot of time and energy thinking about if I could just get the right book or the right snappy answer to someone's question, then I could get all my friends and loved ones converted to Christianity. And so you spend all this time and energy doing research and trying to figure out, ah, that will answer that question or that will respond to that objection. And we should, we should be able to give an answer to the hope that's within us. But listen, listen, spend more time asking the Holy Spirit to convict and to convert and to make the preaching and the proclamation of the gospel effective in people's lives. Because ultimately, the power to raise the dead to life, the power that comes to, take, uh, to open blind eyes and to open deaf ears only comes from the Spirit of God. And so we need him to take uh, what the, the truth that we, that we bear witness to so that it will bear fruit and become alive in the hearts and lives of the people we love. Next slide. So just a couple of things to, to take away from this. So these exiles, we may not have a place here. You may be a square peg in a round hole. Uh, you may feel like you don't really belong. You may feel like that the that there's no place for, for you, there's no place for the church anymore in the world, but the fact of the matter is, you might not have a place here, but you have a place in the heart and mind of God, right? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, they served us. 
Gabriel and Michael, those angels, they continue to serve us. And so whatever else may be said about Christians, whatever else may be said about the church, the fact is we have always been on God's heart and mind and we will always be on God's heart and mind and there will never be a time where the Lord is not building and protecting and establishing his church. Next, uh, in the gospel, suffering always precedes glory. And that's one of the things that is, is so hard for us, right? He says that when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, one of the things that Christians have grappled with for centuries is, why do we suffer? Well, the fact is, Jesus suffered. Uh, and, and though his, his, the aim of his life and the aim of his ministry was glory, the fact of the matter is he suffered before there was glory. We should not be caught off guard. We should not be caught uh, unawares when we suffer. Uh, but the fact is there are subsequent glories. So we focus our heart and attention as we suffer and as we struggle on the, the hope, the living hope of the resurrection that is Jesus Christ, right? So the sequence of our lives follow the sequence of Christ's life. The Christ of glory is the Christ of the cross. So, so the fact is that the whole economy, the whole story, the whole narrative of the gospel is of suffering that ultimately leads to joy, inexpressible, full of glory. So don't be shocked and don't be surprised and don't buy the lie that says that when you're struggling or you're suffering, that somehow or other God is done with you or God is not paying attention to you or he, he doesn't see you. In fact, in fact, that is the work of God in you, through you, and on you to bear glory, to bear witness to glory in your life. Jesus suffered and died, and then he was raised, and then he ascended into heaven. The same thing is the, the economy of the gospel is the same for us. You don't get a resurrection unless you die, right? You're, you're not resurrected from the dead unless you're dead. So, so the fact is we should not be caught off guard or think somehow or other that, it, that God doesn't love us when suffering and difficulty comes our way. In fact, in fact, uh, that is the, the, the normal way in which God uh, moves and works uh, in his people. Listen, um, I can't make you value the gospel. I can't make you get excited about the, the fact that the Old Testament prophets were, uh, were, did their ministry for you. I, I can't uh, get your heart beating quicker when you think that angels are peeking over the, the rim of heaven to look to see um, what God is doing. But the fact is, the, the, the bottom line today for you is, um, where would you be? Where would you be without Jesus? Where would you be without the gospel? Where would you be? And so Peter wants us to grapple with that and see the value that the love of God has for us. Um, and that prepares us then for the next section of this letter where he's going to challenge us. 
in light of the hope that we have in Christ, in light of the great value of the gospel, to live lives that bear witness to and reflect that glory. So let's look to him now in prayer. Lord, we confess to you that um, sometimes the gospel just doesn't seem that valuable to us. It's just something that we kind of take for granted, and um, we pray that you would forgive us for that. Lord, I I pray today as well uh, that you would train us to see your heart and your mind as being turned and focused upon uh, the redemption and the salvation of your people. Pray that you would help us to uh, take joy in that and also to be uh, energized uh, by the fact uh, that you care for us. Lord, I pray today as well for uh, those who are tempted by their struggle and suffering to think that uh, somehow uh, they have forfeited uh, the love that you have for them. Pray that you would draw near and uh, give comfort. And I pray today, Lord, that you would um, uh, help us uh, to see uh, how big and wide your love is for us how it extends through time and space to reach us, to change us, to give us life, and to give us hope. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.